and welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Rami. And I'm Sandan. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we discuss our experiences with racism and unpack some of the stories you shared with us through Instagram. We wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone who reached out, wrote in and sent voice recordings. Engaging with our audience and involving you more is something we want to keep doing moving forward. Now on to today's episode. Rami, it's been a while since we've done an episode just the two of us. I know, it has been a while, hasn't it? Feels it feels weird having all this empty space here. I feel yeah. very exposed. <laughs> <laughs> can stretch my legs. I know. Um, but a segment that we haven't done for a while mm-hmm. is what did you learn this week? Yeah, and I'm actually prepared for this one because usually I'm like, eh, I've learned nothing. <laughs> um, but in the past week, I learned a psychological theory Ooh. called the five chair theory. Um, and it was coined by a woman named Louise Evans. And there's an article and a TED talk about it. Maybe I'll put it on our Insta stories or something um, once the episode releases. But it's basically the five chairs you sit on uh, in terms of your reactions to certain situations or certain people. So there's five chairs. They're all different colors. And there's an animal that represents each chair as well. So you mm. can be like in the red chair, which is the jackal, um, where you're ready to just attack any situation or any person. There's an empathy chair, which which is represented by a giraffe. There's a hedgehog chair, which is where you're a bit more like self-doubty and that's a yellow chair. So there's just like a spectrum. And it's interesting to think about what your default chair might be Mm. um, as well as what your chair might be in certain situations. And I think it's just a good way of reflecting why it is you react the way you do and trying to figure out how you can move away from some chairs to others. That's mad. So what do you think your default chair is and what Um, chair do you think you're sitting in right now right now i think i'm in the blue chair which is a dolphin chair and that's like a bit more confident and like you know that's because we're talking and it's chill um but then i think my default might be like the empathy chair which is a purple giraffe chair Mm. um maybe sometimes the red attack chair i'm not sure probably depends (laughs) on the scenario purple and giraffe both feel empathetic yeah, I feel they like do. that's very, like, there's a lot of synergy there. Yeah, yeah, and giraffes are really cute. <laughs> what did you learn? Um, so, admittedly, I only understood the conflict in Israel and Palestine on a very surface level mm-hmm. um, up until, you know, the last few weeks where I did spend more time, which is probably something I should have done before, um, understanding the conflict on a deeper level, mm. um, given everything else that's been going on um, recently. Mm. So, a reminder for me to put more effort to, you know, look into things that aren't covered as much as other stories are Mm -hmm. um and also you know a lot of us are here where we are because of conflicts like this so you know we do have responsibility to learn about what's going on and you know speak up and take action where we can definitely and we'll definitely um also post some resources maybe on our instagram page because there's some really good stuff on social media that explains these bigger issues um, in really layman terms, um, which I find a a really great resource Mm. just to get at least a base understanding. Yeah, a really good starting point. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Before jumping in, we wanted to call out that we can't have any conversation about racism, especially in Australia, without acknowledging that the biggest victims of racism in our country is that of our First Nations people. You know, we're having this conversation on stolen land and it's beyond tragic how not only throughout history, but even today, these really rich cultures are being purged as a result of sustained and systemic racism. And, you know, obviously this is a very important topic, which Robbie and I aren't nuanced enough to speak to, 
Um, but we're hoping to revisit it in a future episode with an expert. Definitely. Um, we also wanted to acknowledge that by no means are we speaking to everyone's experience with racism. We're not claiming to represent the experiences of all South Asians or, you know, all people of color by any means. Mm. This is just our reflections on our experiences and um, some of the lived experiences of some of our listeners. And, you know, this conversation is coming from two people who are second generation migrants and that in itself gives us certain privileges when it comes to this topic, um, which I'm sure we'll come back to later in the discussion. Yeah, certainly. And it's good timing because um, for all you Aussies out there, today was National Sorry Day. Um, Look it up if you don't know what it is. Um, And then also it's been a year since the murder of George Floyd, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And also in regards to this topic, we really wanted to have all of your voices included as well. Um, So many of you may have seen, we put up, questions on our insta story to let us know if you've had any lived experiences with racism um, and to share your stories with us um so many of you reached out which we're really grateful for there were some stories that were a bit more sensitive um and intense that we weren't actually able to share publicly so we picked some stories that were reflective of some more indirect racism that many of us may have experienced on a day-to-day basis and sometimes may have gone missed as well um so i think to start off with obviously we need to acknowledge the fact that racism is still alive and it still exists in our society even in a multicultural society like australia so there's racism that exists as i just said within the western world um of, you know, the ideals of immigrants not belonging to Australia or whichever Western country you've come from or you are living in at the moment um, and brings upon the questions of, like, what it really means to be Australian or European or American. Mm. There's discrimination against Indigenous people and the original owners of the land as well, and we see that very clearly in Australia. And I think if you go to any Western country, you'll be able to see that happen. Mm. And then there's also discrimination against people of or racism against people of different cultures um, and, you know, people being looked down upon just because they have different practices. And I guess we also need to remember that racism doesn't only come in the form of physical and verbal abuse, right? Yeah. It can take many shapes like systemic racism and institutional racism, um, which kind of work a little more under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we'll come back to those forms in a future episode because it is quite complex and there's so much to unpack when it comes to, you know, racism as a topic. Uh, but yeah, I guess the forms that you and I have more experience with, Romy, um, having grown up where and when we have is around everyday racism, which I guess this particular episode is more focused around. Yeah, exactly. And that's what a lot of our listeners shared as well when it comes to their stories too. Um, And I think there's also things like microaggressions and preconceived ideas about or stereotyping of different cultures and people of different backgrounds. Um, And there's also internal racism, Mm. which is quite interesting, which is where you kind of take all the stereotypes and discrimination against your you know, whoever you are in terms of your background and believe it to be true in yourself, which I found super interesting when I was reading up on it. Yeah. Um, I had a point around that, but let's circle back to it. Okay, sure. Um, And then to the flip side, we've just, you know, talked about the Western world. There's also discrimination within South Asian people, right? Which is, there's so much irony in that where we see like, 
um, you know, discrimination because of class, caste, colour, religion, all which are huge topics that we want to come back to in standalone episodes sure. because they're just way too big for us to just mention in passing. Yep. But um, we discriminate amongst one another and you've probably heard of this yourself, you know, for you listening out there, um, where you make assumptions about other people or you feel entitled or feel as though you are better than others, even within the South Asian community, which there's just so much irony towards because especially in a Western country to discriminate against one Mm. another where you have to be in solidarity with each other and kind of just push each other and elevate one another. It's just ridiculous that we're still discriminating against each other. Yeah, like you said, when there's like all these external forces at play that hold us back, like why are we holding each other back even further? Exactly. um, With those things that you mentioned. Mm. Um, And even like discriminating against other people from different parts of South Asia uh, that's different from our own. Yeah. Right? Like, why are we doing that when we should be pushing each other forward? Exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. And to that, I'd challenge how we take a stance when there's acts of racism against our own people or in other parts of the world. But to your point, I don't think we do enough to call out the discrimination um, within our own communities. Mm. Uh, and I think our generation is doing a better job of calling out some of those double standards, but... It's still definitely an issue that exists. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so what are your experiences with racism, Rami? Um, I guess I'm lucky in the sense that I haven't experienced anything too traumatic um, or overly direct. Maybe there have been things that have been said out of my earshot or behind my back that I've got no idea about. But I think the point you made earlier about the fact that um, – you know, we sound Aussie, we, we look more, I don't know, westernised or something like that, um, kind of gives us an advantage mm. at that point. But, um, you know, there's been little microaggressions and stereotypes that have happened that I'm sure has happened to everyone, like being checked at airport security. Um, I don't know if it's just a coincidence, but I feel like pretty much every time my boyfriend and I go through the airport, either both or at least one of us gets checked. Um, But there's so many people that I know that say that that's Mm. happened to them Um, or just getting questioned about their travel patterns and things like that because they're brown. Um, This one's interesting. My dad got kind of discriminated against once at a shop. I think he was buying furniture or something. And the guy who was a sales attendant was like kind of rude to him and didn't really pay much attention to, to my dad. And then once he found out his background was Sri Lankan. He was like, oh my God, I love Sri Lanka. Um, You know, blah, blah, blah. Like I've been there. So he was like assuming my dad was another type of South Asian and was discriminating. Was this guy South Asian as well? No, he was Caucasian. What? Which is just so random because for the most part. type of racism. Yeah, because for the most part, like Caucasian people can't identify different types of brown, right? Like we're all just, you know. Fair enough, like they can't d- differentiate. But um, yeah, it was, it was such a random experience and he came back like, what? Like, that's so yeah. weird. Um, and then, you know, obviously there's been like assumptions about me, uh, you know, being good at maths and science and IT just because I'm brown. And like, for the record, I suck at all three of them. <laughs> so, I mean, if you think I'm smart, then that's fine. I won't take offense to it. And I never really did. But maybe those assumptions, you know, shouldn't really, like, why do they exist in the first place? Just because of the way I look. Mm. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, it's good to hear that you haven't had any major incidences because, you know, we both know plenty of people who have. Yeah. Um, I, like you, am very fortunate in that I haven't had any, like, traumatic experiences with racism. But it's funny because 
around this time last year, when all of the protests were happening in the US, I was on a call at work with a colleague of mine who's based in New Zealand. And, um, you know, he's a middle-aged white male, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we were waiting for a client to join the call who was running late. So we were just chit-chatting. And all of a sudden he was like, hey, sorry, man. Like, I know this is a really random question and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. But have you felt racism in Australia? Wow. And that question took me back a little bit because, like, as far as I could remember, that was the first time that someone who wasn't of colour initiated a conversation with me about my experiences with race, Mm. you know? Um, So I thought about it and I said, you know, I've been lucky. I haven't faced anything traumatic or super intense. Um, You know, there's definitely been, like, plenty of microaggressions and stereotypes and casual racism but nothing really more than that Mm. and then in my head i was like damn like i was one of the i'm one of the fortunate ones you know like i haven't really had it that bad Mm -hmm. but his reaction was oh man like i'm so sorry to hear that um you know it sucks that it was like that for you i wish you know things were different um and that maybe reflects a little bit like maybe i shouldn't be as dismissive as i have been because in my head, I've always thought, you know, like, I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeah. I haven't had it that bad. You know, there's people who've had it way, way worse than me. Mm. But to uh, his point, you know, even those those passive things aren't okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, it's almost sad, right, because you come to expect it. Like, racism is something you expect mm. if you're a person of colour. Mm, and so there's, it. like, a scale of... Um, not so bad to extreme forms of racism against yeah. you. So when you're in the not so bad category, you're like, oh, like we're good because yeah. I haven't been verbally or physically abused because of the color of my skin. Whereas none of it should be acceptable. And it's really great that this guy actually called that out and yeah. mentioned it. And one point that's interesting was when Tiger King came out, that <laughs> doco about the crazy cat people, um, I was talking to some American colleagues and they were saying, And I asked them if I went out to the Midwest or wherever this was uh, filmed. I forget now. Um, I think. Yeah. Would I face racism? And they were like, you certainly would because Mm. you would sound, you know, Australian or something like that. But because of the color of your skin, you 100% would face racism, which is quite interesting because I've never felt that way in Australia. So I think there is some differences there from from country to country too. Yeah. Everyone's experience is going to be different. Yeah. Depending on where they are and what generation they're a part of. And like we said earlier, we have privileges growing up in Australia when we have. Mm. Um, So, you know, refugees, um, first generation migrants, um, indigenous people um, or people in other parts of the world would have very different experiences than than us. us. Yeah, yeah. All right, so as we mentioned, we got some stories from our listeners um, who've shared them with us for us to unpack in today's episode. This first story, the listener sent via message, so I will be reading it out now. So long story short, I got bullied a lot when I was in year one to year two when I used to live in Melbourne. I got bullied for being the only brown skin colored slash ethnic person in my class over those two years. Some horrible stuff these little kids would say. But now that I'm older, I know it was a reflection of their upbringing and what they've heard their parents say. Anyway, some of the stuff the kids would say were, one, why did you come to Australia? You don't belong here. You and your family should just go back to your own country. Number two, your skin color is brown, just like my shit. 
So you and your people come from my ass. Three, I retaliated back once saying, why would you tease me? What about this other kid? She's also brown. And to this one kid said, they're not brown, they're tan and they're Australian and you're not. So for context, this listener who sent this story is in her mid-twenties now. Um, But yeah, that just sucks. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm sorry you had to go through that. Yeah, it's disheartening to hear, but I feel like the worst part is that I'm not really surprised Mm. given that we've all heard kind of similar stories. Yeah. Um, But going back to the listener's experience, being at such an impressionable age, going through that would have morphed the way that she saw herself Mm. and people who looked like her and how they fit in in the world around her, right? Yeah. Um, But also from the bully's point of view, if those attitudes and that language doesn't get caught early, then that's obviously going to shape how they see other people who are different to them when they get older. Mm. Like no kid's going to think like that just by themselves, right? They would have heard it and absorbed it from somewhere else. Exactly. Which I guess is what the scary bit is. Yeah. Um, this story actually reminded me of before we moved to the suburb we live in now, I did my first few years of primary school in like a predominantly white neighborhood. And I remember we had this family over for dinner once Mm -hmm. and I was eating rice and curry with my hands, um, as a lot of South Asians do. And my seven or eight year old friend looked at me kind of funny and was like, that's gross. Mm. Like you people are weird. What are you doing? And I really vividly remember their mum catching them and saying, no, it's not weird. Like different families have different traditions and in this family's culture, they eat with their hands, you know, like just because it's different to what you're used to doesn't make it wrong. Mm. Um, So that story reminded me of that and how important that lesson would have been for that child in shaping that fundamental understanding that people can be different and that's okay because, you know, to hear things like the color of your skin is like the shit that comes out of my ass, you come from my ass. It's absolutely frightening. Yeah, especially to come from like a five, six, seven-year-old. Yeah. Like the words like that are really harsh to come from someone that little. For sure. And I think like to our point before, this story was from sort of the early 2000s and the landscape in Australia was really different then. Um, so if I kind of got interested in looking at the the Australian landscape in terms of the number of Australians born overseas. And in 1891... of Australians were born overseas. So that would have come from a lot of that European migration that happened earlier. But then in 1947, only about 10% of Australians were born outside of Australia, which is such a low percentage because the number of overseas born Australians now has increased significantly and it increased from about the 1980s onwards. So if you think about the people who were born or alive around that 1940s period where only a handful of people would have been non you know born outside of Australia they're the people who would have been you know this kid who bullied this listener it would have been that kid's grandparents or maybe that kid's parents so the way they see Australia and the way that it had changed over time would have been a big shock to them and they wouldn't have been used to seeing that difference but at the same time they weren't accepting of that difference either Mm. so it's like to your point before where do 
these little kids, like little kids can't form those ideas on their own, right? Like they've got to hear it from somewhere. Um, so they would have heard someone of authority, maybe, yeah, their parents, their grandparents talk trash about people of color. And then they've come and projected that to someone else because kids aren't going to sit there and critically think about it. And yeah. again, like if they're not called out for it or if someone, it's the teachers don't call them out or whatever it may be at school, then that just, yeah, shapes their perception for the rest of their life as well, unless they, you know, think for themselves and form their own opinions as they get older. Yeah. I guess what's also scary is the sense of entitlement, you know, just because your white family came to this country a yeah, few like uh, yeah, centuries like, or decades before. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that you're any better, especially yeah. because, again, you're living on stolen land. Exactly. Yeah. It's just a matter of where we came in the timeline. Yeah. yeah. It's just insane. And also because this was in the, the 2000s, if you think about the media and television and uh, the types of people that were represented, people of colour weren't on TV at all. Like there was hardly any. Mm. So there was also that lack of understanding, you know, of what people of colour are like and a lot of assumptions being made um, because a lot of the time you saw negative representations of people of colour too. Yeah. Or like playing into stereotypes. Exactly, kind of yeah. Exaggerating that. Exactly, yeah, yeah, that's so true. And we did have a few other listeners kind of share similar stories um, in high school and primary school being called curry mancha, yeah. Um, being called a terrorist, which disgusting to hear, but again, not super surprising, yeah. which sucks. Yeah, definitely. Um, again, thank you for sharing that story. Um, the next story we have to share is a voice recording. So we'll play that for you now. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm 25. I am a Sri Lankan born and raised in Australia. And this is my story. So a couple of years ago, my boyfriend and I were getting a train home together from work one Friday afternoon. Um, it wasn't a very busy train, so the two of us decided to sit on a four-seater rather than just kind of cramming up into a two-seater. However, when the train got to a stop a couple of, um, like half an hour into the train ride, the more and more people had obviously started to join the train. So the two of us then eventually realised and then moved from a four-seater to a two-seater Five or ten minutes in, we started hearing these two ladies a couple of rows behind us bickering amongst themselves. And when I looked back, I noticed that they were pointing at us and talking about us. Started kind of listening in and eavesdropping a little bit and realised that they were talking about us and saying things like, ah, oh, can't believe them, so disgusting that they would use four seats up. Honestly, people like this need to go back to where they came from. And I kind of just couldn't really sit there because I was so triggered and fired up, so I got up. And I was like, hi, were you saying something to me? Or did you have something to say to me? The ladies just kept making these faces like, oh, move away. You're disgusting. Move away. And she was like, no, honestly, people like you really need to just go back to where you came from. And I got really worked up. And I think I said, sorry, where are you from? And I just said, look, I'm Australian. Kind of were exchanging words back and forth. In the end, we just moved carriages and we had to move on. But for me, the biggest issue is I was so emotional and worked up when I got home because I guess I have a voice and I can stand up for myself and I can fight back. But this probably happens to a lot of people around the world, a lot of people in Australia who aren't as vocal or as, I don't know, who probably can't speak as good English to kind of get up and fight for themselves and say something. Um, and I guess, yeah, that really upset me and triggered me. Thanks again for sharing that and... You know, so sorry to hear that you were spoken to in that way. Mm. Um, 
But yeah, like good on you for having the courage to speak up. Yeah. I feel like when I see stuff like that online, in my head, I'm always like, if I was a bystander, I'd be the first person to raise my voice. But honestly, I feel like if I was actually in that situation, I'd be like so angry and flustered that I'd kind of freeze. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's easy to, it's easier said than done. Right. Which is, yeah, to your point, really good that this uh, listen actually spoke up for herself. And it's really, again, to that point of like, they should go back to where they've come from. And I like that the listener actually questioned where those people had come from. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what their response to that was. It would be interesting <laughs> to ask her and find out because like, you know, where did your ancestors come from? Yeah. You know, and just, and again, we made this point before, just because they came to Australia before we did or before this listener did, it doesn't make them any more or less Australian. Um, than, than her and mm. I'm really glad that she did speak up from that point of view. Um, yeah, and another thing that I really appreciate that she brought up was how we have a different kind of voice um, because we grew up here, we're confident in English, we have a little bit of that Aussie accent, but not everyone has that exactly. privilege. Um, for more recent migrants or refugees who might not be as confident or articulate in English, um, it would be so much more difficult for them yeah. to speak up if they were getting abused in such a way. Mm. And I guess sometimes there is an assumption about their capabilities and backgrounds in part because of that language barrier, which also unfortunately plays into how they're perceived. Yeah, and like obviously if this listener was Caucasian, um, these ladies wouldn't have said anything most likely. Like yeah. it wasn't the act, it was the person behind it yeah. that really fueled the comments that they were making. And you can be confident in saying that because the person didn't say you're so rude for taking four seats. Yeah. She it, said the comment These was you should so go rude. Yeah. They should go back to where exactly. they came from. Yeah, exactly. So this listener also sent another story which we will play now. There was another incident that also happened. Um, this is probably a little bit I think four or five four years ago. I went out again with my boyfriend. Um, the two of us went to actually go meet two other friends at a very big establishment in Sydney called Carter. And we didn't go with a large group. The two of us got into the club quite easily. And then once we were in, we wanted to go from one floor to the next because I think our friends were a little bit, I think they were on the lower floor. So there was another security that was there, like at the second floor door. And when we got there, the security looked at me and said, no, we can't let you in. And I said, why? And he said, can't let you in because there are too many of your people inside. If he said there are too many people, 100%, you're at capacity, I get that. But for him to look us dead set in the eye and to say there are too many of your people, that triggered me. <laughs> and I was like, sorry, what do you mean by your people? And I was hoping he just said the wrong thing and I'd misheard it. But he, again, kind of like pushed my boyfriend away and then said the same thing. No, 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 too many of your people. There's too many of your crowd in there. You just got to go. You just got to go. Um... Again, I wanted to create a bigger scene then and there, but I kind of refrained. But I guess the good thing was a couple of months later, this had happened to a lot more people um, more frequently. And then an article was released and someone from that newspaper company had reached out to me to kind of give my story as well. So I did. And I guess since then I have been quite vocal about my views. But yeah, there's definitely no room for racism and there's no room for people to not let others in based on the colour of their skin. Um, so this one is just also another situation of just flat out racism because to her point, he didn't say 
it, we're at full capacity. There's too many people in that level of the club. Mm. It's there's too many of your people. Your people. And the bouncer themselves was ethnic. So to our point before about that discrimination against South Asians or ethnic people amongst each other, mm. it's like, you know, we have to stand in solidarity. If we're going to go against each other, then how do we expect Caucasian people to not be racist towards yeah. us? Yeah. Um, which is just, yeah, which is just such a shame that she even faced what she did. Yeah. And, and again, she had the courage to add her voice to a bigger exactly. story she about this establishment, there. which is awesome because... I mean, like, I completely understand why some people might want to push it aside and try to move on because it is something that's really difficult to go through. Mm. Um, but, yeah, good on her for raising her voice and trying to stop something like this happening again. Exactly, yeah. And she'd mentioned that there were other people who'd faced that and we'd heard of other people facing that yep. at the same place as well. So, yeah, good on her. We also had a few other DMs sharing similar stories, being told to go back to where you came from, which absolutely sucks. Yeah. All right. On to the next story. Hi, I'm 26 years old and I currently work as an IT risk analyst in a financial institution. One experience related to racism that comes to mind is during my time as a student administrative assistant at my university, where I worked on a casual basis. A student came into the student centre and wanted some advice on changing degrees. So I asked him a number of questions to determine which subjects he had liked in the past and the sort of career paths he wants to explore. He very rudely replied to me saying, I want to learn American history and looking at you, I can tell that you find it very offensive because you're from Pakistan and probably don't like America. I was a bit taken aback but assured him that I'm Australian and also informed him that not everyone who wears a head covering is from Pakistan. It's not just Muslim women who wear a head covering and I, as a baptised Sikh, wear a turban that represents justice, courage, my commitment to fighting for the oppressed. And of course it forms an integral part of my visual identity. I was quite hurt of course but I told him that if he wants to be racist, he needs to do his research properly. And a second or two later, I realised that it was the first time someone had been rude to me because of my turban. It had only been a month or so since I made the decision to wear it. And that racist remark wasn't subtle, it was direct. It was made to make me feel inferior because of the colour of my skin and the turban on my head. But I was quite lucky that I worked for a department that didn't tolerate racism or any mistreatment of its employees. My colleague informed my team leader straight away and the student was given a mini lesson on kindness. Um, so I'm forever grateful for leaders that take a stance against racism. So I guess the this story in particular um, is a bit different because it's to do with a physical identifier of culture or religion, right? Yeah. So this listener used to not wear a turban and now wears one, so it has noticed a difference in the way she was being treated and flat out... Um, you know, got discriminated against purely because of her turban. And it's interesting because she got discriminated against by a young person. And mm. you would think that our generation is a bit more open-minded with these things. Yeah. Um, but really, like, there's so many people out there that wear their culture and religion proudly by, you know, having those physical identifiers like a turban or a burqa or a hijab, um, which a lot of people don't educate themselves enough about mm. but still feel like they are entitled to have a comment or, yeah. or be able to say something about it yeah. instead of just staying quiet or asking the question of why do you wear this? Yeah. Like, what does it mean to you? Yeah, and I guess if you don't interact with many people who wear cultural or religious clothing, 
there's a good chance that you might only see it on screen. Mm. Um, you know, where sometimes it's used to play into stereotypes yeah. or it's misrepresented. Exactly. Um, like just thinking of like talk shows I've seen where they've had these debates arguing that certain religious clothing is oppressive. Um, but those messages are coming from people who aren't necessarily from that culture yeah. and don't have that deeper understanding of the significance of why people yeah. wear what they do. And it's and a not, choice, right? Yeah. Like people wear it out yeah. of choice, but people of other cultures don't realise that and they yeah. just make comments. Yeah, I mean, there would be some people who are forced to wear it, mm. but it's just making that blanket statement that everyone who wears what they do all hold on to certain values yeah. or connecting assumptions without understanding, yeah. which isn't really fair, is it? Yeah, no, not at all. And I think um, to your point before as well, there is also a huge lack of representation in the media, even now. You know, I've not, I don't think I've ever seen someone in a turban uh, like on the news or mm. as in being a newsreader mm. or a journalist or, you know, anything or in the parliament, um, you don't see like, Women wearing burqas there. You you just don't see that representation even now. What are you talking about? You don't see women wearing burqas in Parliament. Didn't Pauline Hanson wear one? Oh, my God. What are you talking about, Romy? That was a shit show (laughs) of a case. Oh, my God. I still can't believe that happened. Oh, my God. All you listeners who are Aussies, you'd remember... Pauline Hanson wearing a burqa into the parliament a few years ago. I honestly cannot If a brown person had done that with something that was like a white thing, they would have been labelled a terrorist. 100%. (laughs) That was just insane. But, um, and there's also a lot of lack of education, I think, that's just, and I think maybe that comes from a lack of representation as well. But unless people go out of their way to Google and figure out, you know, information for themselves, which not, like, let's face it, which not everyone would would be willing to do, Mm. um, they'll just... They just won't have any context as to, you know, why people wear the things they do or dress the way they do. Yeah, yeah um, it's all kind of made on assumptions. And then it's a game of Chinese whispers from there, right? Because if exactly. it's not coming from the original the source, source, then yeah. there's going to be a disconnect. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other good thing about this story was similar to um, the previous listeners' stories. This workplace in this situation, well, first of all, the listener called out. Yeah. Who are, you know, the person who was discriminating. Um, and then the workplace took it a step further and made sure they really drilled into this person that what they did was wrong. So it's really holding someone accountable for their words and their actions and making them know that saying these things um, won't go under the radar yeah. and that they should and will be called out for it. 100%. And it's people like that who are perfect allies to someone who's getting discriminated against yeah, in certainly. a situation like yeah. this. So, you know... Thank you for sharing that story. And it's so great to hear that you had a really supportive workplace to call out that kind of behavior. Most definitely. Um, Now on to our final story. Hey guys, I'm 25 years old and I'm from Sydney. I was born in Australia, but I come from a Fijian Indian background. So I've been pretty lucky, I think, not to have experienced any real major or direct instances of racism against me. But I do think to some of the offhanded comments here and there, Based on my ethnic background, that tend to reduce my character to my race, particularly in a professional setting. A few examples come to mind that have really stuck with me. The first was actually my first week at my new job. One particular person came up to me and kind of singled me out with questions relating to my racial background. Things like, what did you eat for dinner last night? What's the best place to grab a curry in Sydney? And what are some of the curries that you eat at home? And... 
I can understand he may have been naively curious, but I felt like in a room full of diverse people, it reduced what I brought to the table just to the color of my skin. It felt it made me feel quite uncomfortable and actually quite self-conscious for a good few days after that. Um, another example that's a little bit more recent following that note is a recent client meeting that I had that I'd been preparing for for a couple of days and I was keen to share some new ideas with this particular client. But at the beginning of the call, the client made a comment about how happy I must have been to have won the cricket yesterday. I was a little confused as I don't play cricket, but I quickly realized that he was talking about the India versus Australia match the night before. Um, and based on the color of my skin and probably the way my name sounds, he assumed that I was a fan of the Indian cricket team. I brushed it aside. He continued to make those comments throughout the call and how happy I must be about leveling up the series. Little did he know, though, that my parents weren't even from India and that I actually go for the Australian team. I left that call much like that day at orientation, actually feeling quite uncomfortable and angry that everything that I wanted to share had been attached to my racial background or the color of my skin. In this particular instance, I was really left wondering what other stereotypes other people were assigning to me, and I felt quite self-conscious, even around people that I'd been working with for a number of years. In both instances, I didn't say anything to correct them because I didn't want to be known as that guy at work. But I think looking back, there is a way to handle these conversations tastefully and give the other the person an opportunity to learn from the situation. And I hope that in similar settings, we can all take that mindset to challenge comments that are out of place in the hope that no one else has to go through something similar again. Thanks to our listener for sharing that story. Um, a few things that stood out for me the first being the whole othering of people. So yeah. in the examples he gave, the two people in his workplace had already established that he was different to them based on the color of his skin. Yeah. So they had assumptions about who he was, what his values are. What his interests are. Yeah. Like even before he even opened his mouth. Yeah, exactly. And it's really that paradox of what he identifies as versus what people assume of him as mm. well. Um, so they didn't even take time to even ask what his ethnic background was. Yeah. They just assumed he was Indian because of the color of his skin and then assumed he wouldn't go for Australia because of that as well. Like what's not to say that someone who is of Indian background wouldn't go for Australia. Like, what does it mean to, you know, just because we do look different doesn't mean that we can't actually go for Australia, which is a place we call home anyway. Yeah. Um, and then also, like, using his background, or they assumed wrong anyway, his assumed background as the key characteristic of himself. Yeah. The, the one thing that identifies him. Yeah. To the cricket story, it comes across like, because you don't look like us, you're not one of us. You can't be one of us. Mm. So you're probably not going to support our team. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, it comes across like both of these people assumed that all brown people were the same. Exactly. And they're kind of projecting that profile or like that perceived profile onto the listener and not giving him a chance yeah. to showcase his personality and um, what he can bring to the table because, you know, they've already got a preconceived notion about who he is mm -hmm. and what he's about and pigeonholed him into that. Exactly. Yeah. So instead of looking at all the other things that make this listener who he is in terms yeah. of his abilities, his personality, um, and uh, you know, other parts of his characteristics, but only really looking at his identity yeah. and like kind of almost like 
belittling him for it. Yeah. Like he sounded quite defeated from yeah. the message that he shared with us. And then in like a corporate setting, if people in his workplace are making those assumptions about people of color, that might influence how they promote yeah. or hire people or like that might put ceilings on people yeah. because of those assumptions. Exactly. Yeah. And then just playing into stereotypes and yeah. just like, oh, did you, you know, did you have curry last night? Yeah. Do you play cricket? Like yeah. the number of times people have asked me if I like cricket because, you know, my background Sri Lankan. I know nothing about cricket. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just ridiculous. Just the last point on that. Speaking from experience, I completely get how those interactions would have made him feel self-conscious about what other stereotypes other people might be assigning him and, Mm. um, you know, maybe putting a chip on his shoulder because of that. Yeah. And this story in particular, I think it is very indirect, the racism that this uh, listener faced because it wasn't, you know, uh, like straight up abuse or go back to where you came from. It was like these little microaggressions Mm. and stereotypes that maybe some of you listening may have experienced yourself now thinking back in hindsight. Maybe you and I have and we haven't, you know, realised. Like you think, oh, whatever, they're just assuming things because of my background. But when you think in the grand scheme of things, like maybe that is indirect racism, similar to what this listener faced. Um, But to your colleague's point from earlier on in this episode about None of it is it should okay. be expected and none of it's okay, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, a uh, massive thank you once again to all of our listeners who were kind enough to share their experiences. Yeah. Um, and also to everyone else who sent us their stories through IG. Yeah. Um, we know that there are plenty more examples out there that are similar to what we unpacked. And, of course, there's plenty of examples that are even more extreme. Mm. But we hope that bringing some of these situations to light will help other people call out things that they see around them um, or, you know, be more conscious about how they interact with other people. Exactly. Yeah. And some of these stories you guys may have faced yourself, but not realized or palmed off as not racism. Um, mm. But to the, to your colleagues point from earlier on in this episode about none of it is, it okay. should be expected and none of it's okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So say then what do you think, we as people of colour and ethnic people do to actually perpetuate the issue of racism? I'll speak to a few things that I think I personally could work on. Mm -hmm. To your earlier point on internal racism, I'm not really sure if this is the same thing, but I'm always hyper-conscious of how many other ethnic people are in the room. Interesting. Um, And, like, if I go to a country town in Australia, like, like on a camping trip or something... I'm very conscious of how other people are looking at me and how many other ethnic people there Mm. are. Because, like, in my head, I have this assumption that because I'm in a place that's predominantly white, people are going to look at me different because I'm not, you know? But, like, the reality is that they're probably looking at me different because they know I'm not a local. Yeah. And, like, that I'm a tourist. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, And I guess that kind of thinking is ingrained through you know, movies and what I consume in the media Mm. and, you know, other stories I've heard, but I need to do a better job of giving the benefit of the doubt Mm. because I'm just making unfair assumptions. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, And I also do things like, like an example from a few years ago is um, we did like an extended family trip to Alice Springs. Mm -hmm. Um, So on the plane, there's my, you know, big, loud South Asian family um, and in my head, I'm thinking, 
all right, guys, you know, let's settle down. Let's not draw attention to ourselves. Let's, um, you know, not rub people the wrong way. Um, in part, because I'm like, okay, I don't want to give people, uh, I don't want to give a bad image of all brown people because there might be people on this flight who think that way. Right. Um, so, you know, again, having assumptions about how other people look at me. Mm. Um, so it's like your perception shaping. Yeah. Which yeah, is obviously, right. you know, really unfair. Yeah. Um, and also very unhealthy and toxic. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I think the other thing as well is um, I feel like I need to do a better job of going out of my way to educate um, non-South Asian people or non-people of colour yeah. about our, our traditions or parts yeah. of our culture. And I feel like since starting this podcast, I've actually been more conscious of it mm-hmm. and I've done more of that. But I can certainly be better at, you know, sharing more of it so that people also become exposed to it. Yeah. At the same time, it can get exhausting because how much responsibility do we really have to like completely change people's perceptions of people of color and things? But I think we can do what we can on our end, um, little by little with, you know, just people around us or in the workplace or friends who aren't, you know, of color. I was going to say the exact same thing. Mm. Um, I think that's something that I could work on as well, because I think there's certain people in my life where I know that if I were to share something, they wouldn't care or they'd kind of dismiss it. Um, so I kind of don't bother because, you know, I don't have the energy, but to your point, those are the people I should be engaging with the most. Right. So, so yeah, that's something I can definitely work on as well. Mm. Um, so if someone who isn't of color were to ask you, Romy, Mm -hmm. how can they be a better ally or what can they do to be a better ally? What would you tell them? Yeah, I think the main thing is obviously there's only so much that they can empathize with if they're not a person of color, right? Mm. So showing sympathy and listening to people's stories and to your point just before about people kind of just dismiss the stories that you share, like not doing that and not diminishing others and their experiences, but actually listening and sympathizing um, and, you know, truly making a conscious effort to learn, I think is really important for, you know, people who aren't of colour and educating yourself. There's just so many resources now or even asking questions of the people around you um, to really get an understanding of different cultures. What do you reckon? Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, I love that point you made around not dismissing other people's experiences, Mm. especially when you're so far removed from it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Educating yourself, um, having those conversations and importantly, you know, speaking up if you do see or hear something yeah, that's that an doesn't feel one. right. Yeah, because it can't just be people of colour that are speaking up all the time. It's got to be like if you are on a train and you hear someone being racist or making those comments and you're not a person of colour, but, st- you know, standing up for whoever it is that's yeah. being victimised can also just help you be a, a good ally and, and stand up for well, Even when you're with your you. mates, you know, like if they say yeah. something that's discriminatory or stereotyping, mm not letting things like that slide. Yeah, most definitely. And needless to say that all of these things that we've spoken about in terms of being a better ally don't only apply to people who aren't of colour, right? It applies to everyone Yes. Um, in their own way. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Romy, what's your recommendation for today's episode? Yes. So my recommendation is a show called Little Fires Everywhere. It's available on Amazon Prime here in Australia. Um, basically, it's set in the 90s in this predominantly white um, up 
class or upper class community in America. Mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon um, is in it and she's like this preppy, like perfect in air quotes mother with a perfect in air quotes family. And mm-hmm. then um, Kerry Washington is this like single black mum who comes to live in this town. And it's really like the dynamic between their two families um, as well as like there's just all these stories that start unravelling throughout as well it's really interesting cast is great i would highly recommend it um yeah. amazon prime yep. yeah amazon prime I'll check it out how about you what's your recommendation um so kind of tying into the conversations we had today uh my recommendation is for a show called blackish on disney plus mm-hmm. um so the premise it's a sitcom um the premise is this um african-american family who are kind of upper middle class the father from the family he had an underprivileged upbringing mm-hmm. and you know, he's established a good life for him and his family. Right. But he's realising that he's brought his kids up, not black, but black-ish. Right. And by that, I mean, you know, he's grown up in a way where he's very aware of what it means to be a person of colour in America, whereas his kids have this unique privilege mm-hmm. and they're not, re- they don't recognise, they don't see those things that, you know, he's very hyper aware of given his upbringing. Right. The racism that they face is very subtle and kind of works in a kind of systemic and institutional kind I of see, way. Yeah. Um, so it's about him kind of instilling those values of, you know, these are the things you should be aware of. Mm. This is what it's actually like to be a person of colour. Make sure you, you know, recognise the privilege that you have, yep. but also be aware of, you know, the challenges that you will mm. inevitably face. Mm. Um, but it is a sitcom. So, you know, it is a comedy um, and, you know, heaps of social commentary. I'd say it's a bit like reverse Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I was thinking Fresh yeah. Prince, yeah. In that sense. But yeah, it's it's very unique. But yeah, it's great. And as a follow-up recommendation, um, on Netflix, there's mm-hmm. a show called Black AF, which is a satire right. on the guy who created Blackish, Kenya Barris. Oh. So it's about him navigating, you know, being a black writer uh, who's capitalised on this woke wave and, you oh. know, how he can push the black film and TV industry forward, but also, you know, navigating those race, yeah, you know, things that happen in the industry. Oh, that's so interesting. It's like Inception. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess, the shows. you know, three recommendations from three different uh, oh streaming goodness. platforms. That's so true. Please don't come for us if you don't like <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> Find someone like my brother who you can leech um, subscriptions from. Yeah, true. <laughs> We're never getting sponsored by <laughs> streaming networks now. Well, thanks so much again for listening to today's podcast. Um, Again, thank you to all of our listeners who shared their stories and many more via our DMs. It's so great interacting with you all and we appreciate you having the courage to share some of those stories and unfortunate situations that you've experienced. Yeah, and as always, you can find us on Instagram at stuckinbetween underscore podcast and we are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. Catch us on our next episode where we interview Lakshmi Nirmalananda, founder of South Asian brand, The Heritage Supply Co., which focuses on passing down culture and language to younger generations. See you then. Bye.